Welcome to episode eight of season two of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League presented by Change Up. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Owen Shadrick. Owen, it's great to see you today. Some frigid temperatures, but another interview that will hopefully get summer and some warmer weather and baseball on all the listeners' hearts. How you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. Yeah, this was a great interview. Alex Dion, the manager of the Worcester Bravehearts, joined us and really excited for you guys to hear this one. Alex Dion, our fifth manager that we've had on. So we've had on Ray Garino, Kyle Jackson, Andy Terrio, and Matt Gedman. And now our good friend Alex Dion, who uh, he had a lot of great things to say. And Owen, in terms of the Futures League this summer, we have an official date for opening day. We have a ticker on the website where about 115 days out. Wednesday, May 26th is the big day. Can't wait. I'm already counting down to it. It can't come soon enough, Matt, but May 26th is going to be a great day and should be another great summer in the FCBL. We already have our calendars marked. Should be another awesome season as we gear up for our 11th edition of the FCBL. But for now, here is our interview. A great one. Sit back and enjoy it with Worcester Bravehearts manager, Alex Dion. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. In 2019, he managed the Worcester Bravehearts to the Futures League Championship. It is Alex Dion, the manager of the Worcester Bravehearts. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? Thanks for having me, guys. I'm good. Always good to hear. So let's get right into it. It's a question we've been asking a lot of our guests this season. What did it mean to you and what did it mean to your players to get a chance to play baseball this summer? Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the question I heard the most throughout the summer last year. Um, it, it was obviously really special and took a lot of work um, just for us to be able to play last summer uh, between the owners and, and Joe and, um, you know, everyone who just put in countless hours getting ready for the season. Um, I know for me personally, it was uh, something that I was really hopeful for throughout the spring. Um, you know, I'm also a high school teacher, so it's been almost a year now since we kind of first left school. And, uh, it was, it was the week before high school baseball was supposed to begin. So, you know, that was sort of up in the air for a month and a half and then, you know, finally gets canceled. So, um, you know, my focus sort of shifted strictly to the futures league at that point and talked pretty much daily with Dave Peterson, our general manager. Um, and just, you know, the further and further we got, the closer we got to, um, July and uh, then it became kind of clear that we were going to play. It was like, it was just really awesome. And it was great to get back out onto the field. And I know for our, our players, guys who um, had seasons cut short or, or weren't able to compete at all during the spring um, for them to get out there and, and compete. And then obviously have a little bit of success um, was really special. Yeah. And you just touched on the, that success, you know, not only did you get the chance to play the summer, but you also reached the championship. You faced off against Nashville, ultimately losing. What were your biggest takeaways from the season? Um, I mean, each day our, our owner, John Creedon talked about like each day being a blessing and being able to go out there and compete was special regardless of, of the outcome. Um, but I think when you, when you, when you coach in Worcester, uh, when you play in Worcester, the, the expectations are what they are and, and the bar is set pretty high. So, um, you know, once we got the green light and knew we were playing, the, the goal obviously is to, to compete for a championship. So, you know, face similar adversities are the same adversities that every team in the league faced and, um, you know, had to kind of roll with the punches throughout the summer. But, you know, the players that 
that I was fortunate enough to manage last year did an excellent job just showing up every day. And, you know, we didn't have the same, uh, it, it wasn't the same as years past. We weren't playing at Holy Cross, you know, we were playing at a new home. Um, you know, we weren't playing in front of 2,500 people every night. It, it certainly would have been easy to, I think, find excuses or, um, you know, whatever you want to call them to not be competitive every single night. And our guys didn't do that. So just their will to compete and their, the passion that they showed throughout the summer to, to put us in a position to play in the last game of the season was, was really special. So as a manager, did you have to make any adjustments given the new field size at Doyle? I mean, you said every team had to face adversity, but I'm sure it was a little bit of an added challenge. Granted it was for you and the road team, but you know, any player reactions about having to manage the Doyle dimensions and strategy that you adjusted? I mean, I personally know, like we, we went out and competed, uh, you know, to the best of our ability every day. And like, I didn't, it's not something that we addressed as a team. Um, our players certainly talked about it and, and had fun with it during BP on certain days. But if you watched any of the, the games, I, I thought we actually played uh, pretty well at home and, and our pitchers didn't go and, and change the way that they were going to attack hitters just because of the dimensions of the field. And I thought for the most part, offensively, our hitters did a good job staying within themselves and not letting that left field fence, um, you know, change the way that they were going to go out and swing the bats. And, um, you know, the few home run derbies we had at home, you know, and having a guy like Ben Rice, on the team to win those games, which ended up being really important wins for us. The balls that he was hitting during those home, home run derbies are going out of any ballpark. So it's not like, um, you know, we certainly had a few Doyle bombs in there, uh, but, you know, I don't think our guys really changed their approach as far as their day-to-day routines or, or how they were going to compete. Sure. So, you know, we'll move towards the specifics in a little bit here, but just kind of bringing a big picture for the next couple questions the Bravehearts have been one of the most successful programs in the Futures League, both in attendance, in wins and losses, and just establishing a winning mentality. What do you attribute to that success, and how did you see that when you joined the team in 2019? Yeah, the, the leadership from the top down. Um, it, it starts with the Creedon family um, and John Sr., John Jr., and Julie in, in their, um, their families and the way that they go about their business every single day. And the professionalism and, and work ethic that they that they just live and breathe every single day, and uh, that trickles down to our general manager Dave Peterson, who you know we've we've developed an, an awesome relationship over the last three and a half years, and um, and then I try to do you know my best on on the baseball side of things, and and uh, it's my job to get our players to buy into that, and you know we don't have a lot of team rules, but you know respect and work ethic are two of the the biggest things that we harp on throughout the summer and it starts with the credence. So, um, you know, their expectations for themselves and for their employees are set really high. And, you know, Dave has those same expectations for himself and, and for our, um, the organization. And I try to just kind of live up to that standard each day and, and preach that to our players and sort of let them have the freedom to go out and compete. And, you know, I think one thing that we have done a really good job, um, of over the years. And I think as you start to kind of have some success year after year, college coaches certainly want to send their guys to an organization that, you know, that's going to win and that's going to compete. And um, especially their younger players are going to have an opportunity to, you know, be a part of a team that potentially goes to a championship and, and experiences that type of a playoff run. So 
um, we've been fortunate to get some pretty good players over the years. And, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to win baseball, many baseball games if we don't have talented guys. So I think the more um, success that we have year after year um, and our ability to continue to get quality players in here, you know, will you know, hopefully continue to pay off for us. Sure. So what, when did you initially get in contact with them? How did that go about and what made you initially decide to join the club and start managing at the summer league level? Uh, so I was 2017. I was still coaching Legion baseball in Northboro. Um, I've worked at Milford high school for, for almost 10 years now and sort of through working at the high school, Rich Pierre Gustavo, who's our assistant principal now, um, who initially hired me there, uh, was, who's the Milford Legion baseball coach for 15 years. He introduced me to JP Pine, who was the former manager of the Worcester Bravehearts. We sort of started to, to talk in 2017. I went up to uh, Clark University when JP was the head coach there for one of his, his early spring games. And, you know, we just kind of talked pregame and went back and forth through text throughout the summer. And I think we talked uh, about like me possibly coming and helping out after the Legion season was done. That never ended up happening. But after that summer, JP had reached out to me and kind of to gauge my interest on, on joining his staff uh, as his hitting coach. I was certainly interested. I was ready to kind of make that move. I had coached high school baseball. Um, I had just got hired as the head coach at Milford. You know, I, I had been in Legion baseball for a number of years. I, I coached for a uh, team Mizuno in the summer and in a showcase league for two summers. And, you know, this seemed like the next kind of logical step and, you know, where I wanted to go in my career. And I loved JP. We have a great relationship to this day. So, you know, the, the idea of getting to work for him um, for what I, I thought would have been a number of years, um, you know, to come was, was just really exciting to me. So got hired uh, that spring in 2018 as JP's hitting coach managed or coached under him in 2019 for that summer. We ended up splitting the championship with Martha's Vineyard. And then JP gets the job at Amherst and, uh, and the managerial position opens with the Bravehearts. I obviously was super interested. Uh, and then just, you know, fortunate enough to have the Creedence and, and Dave Peterson trust me to you know, take on that opportunity. What is your relationship like with JP? And if you can just offer the biggest thing you learned from him that he passed down to you, you try to taking at least, you know, some knowledge of the brave hearts or just coaching knowledge in general. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had, like I had mentioned, I, you know, worked in high school baseball, coach Legion, coach some showcase ball, um, had never really been exposed to the college game. Um, so that was 2019 was a huge learning experience for me. And, you know, something I still talk to JP to this day about the things that I was able to learn from him as far as, you know, managing, players and managing different personalities and knowing when to, you know, when to push guys and when to kind of step back a little bit. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough schedule. I mean, you're playing a lot of games in a short amount of time with kids from different parts of the country, different schools, division one, two, and three, you know, guys who haven't been to college yet. So you're really trying to, you know, build relationships with these guys, get them to trust you in a really short amount of time. So being able to kind of be in the dugout with JP for a whole summer and, and see the way that he went about his business um, each day and, and just being consistent and being yourself. Um, I think are probably the two most important things. And uh, JP's obviously a big personality and, and the guys who, who played for him, loved him. And, 
you know, again, I'm just, I was really lucky to be able to, to spend that summer with him. And then, you know, that, that relationship working relationship has turned into a really great friendship now. And, you know, he's still a guy that I call and, um, you know, ask advice or, or just talk about whatever. So really fortunate to be able to spend that summer with him. Yeah. 100%, you know, JP Pine, big part of the Bravehearts organization for sure. So going back onto the field, we talked earlier about losing in the championship last year, but you also won the championship in 2019, sweeping the Bristol Blues two to nothing. What was it like being both on the winning side of the championship and the losing side? Yeah, the winning side is obviously a lot better. Um, <laughs> but there, there's, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And each manager, each each team has to deal with the same um, kind of obstacles throughout the summer. We're all chasing one goal. So there's only one team that comes out on top at the end. And, you know, we've been fortunate to put ourselves in, in a position to win all three summers that I've been able to spend with the organization. Um, 2019, you know, winning that in my first year's as manager was awesome. Just being able to spend that day with our guys. And, um, you know, we had a, had a decent number of returning players in 2019. So, you know, the bonds and the, the relationships that I was able to form with those guys going from getting coach in 2018 to their manager in 2019. Um, I felt like we just had a really, a really special group of players that were just fun to be around every day. And, um, you know, winning that in, in my first year as managers, uh, something that I won't forget. And then, you know, you fast forward to, to last summer and sort of the unknown and um, all the roster changes that happened in the weeks leading up to this season. Um, we ended up having a bunch of guys on our team last summer, three-year guys for me, um, or at least two-year guys. So, you know, again, super familiar with, with the group and, you know, things didn't always go our way. We, you know, we struggled offensively for most of the, most of the summer, but we found ways to compete. We found ways to win games. It was, it was sort of different each night, which made it really fun. Um, and then, you know, just you got to tip your cap to Nashua. They, you know, to, to lose game one and then come back and, and do what they did. And, um, you know, the way Kyle used his bullpen in game three, I thought that they, you know, they played better than us on that night, but I was, um, you know, I was really, really proud of our guys and the way they competed for the whole summer and, you know, to be in a position to win, you know, you take a couple pitches in the first inning of game two and game three and, you know, things are different, but, but that's baseball and, you know, Nashville deserved to win and I was happy for them. And, um, but I was proud of our guys too. Yeah, certainly two exciting championships for the last two years. And you just touched on it. You know, Worcester and the Braveheart seem to be the kings of returning players. How does that help with chemistry in the clubhouse? I mean, it certainly helps and, you know, just speed up the process a little bit, I guess. You know, when I when I get these guys, you know, this year it's going to be right before Memorial Day and, and we'll meet as a group. But that, that group changes over the first, especially the first few weeks of the season as guys, you know, end their their spring seasons and, and get to Worcester. Um, you know, we might not have our full roster for for two weeks or so. So um, having guys who have played for me in the past, um, whether it's for one summer or two summers, um, you know, like this past year that we had, it's just as far as getting my philosophy through to the guys and what the expectations are and how we go about our work every single day, whether it's, you know, showing up to the field, BP, how things are set up, or if it's a travel day, um, you know, how that's going to look. It just takes a lot of pressure off me and the coaching staff to, to kind of, teach the new guys the way we do things. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's huge to have guys coming back each summer, 
Um, this year is going to look a lot different, you know, with, with the number of guys that we brought back um, last year that were with us for two or three years. Like we're, we have huge turnover this summer and um, you know, we're going to have like 30 new faces on our roster, which hasn't happened in years past. So, you know, the, the small number of guys that are returning um, that are returning for, for this summer in 2021, you know, it's going to be, uh, a lot on them, or I'm going to expect a lot from them to kind of get all the new guys up to speed as quickly as possible. What can you tell us in previewing the roster for additions that you've made, whether it be Dave, whether it be yourself, a couple names that you're excited for, or a couple returning guys you're happy to have back? Yeah. A um, couple returning uh, arms that we have that that I'm excited about are Alex Amalfi, um, Carson Hoban, and Chris Radovic, guys that were, you know, on the team last summer and uh, I think are quality arms. You know, a guy like Carson Hoban that can, you know, probably be one of our, you know, one of our top two starters this summer that has experience in the league, um, pitched in big spots for us. He threw in the championship series last year. Um, so we'll expect a lot out of a lot of those three, a lot out of those three arms. Um, couple returning position players that we have, Andrew Salima, um, Zach DiMatteo, who we um, kind of picked up halfway through last year. Um, but both guys that, that have um, some legit power and, you know, Andrew will play first base for us. Zach will probably be our starting catcher and, you know, both local guys. So it's good to have them. And just a, a whole lot of new names from uh, kind of all over the place. But I think the, the guys that we've, that we've added this summer, you know, especially the arms will, you know, it'll be a breath of fresh air. It's a, it's a new group. It'll be motivating for me to kind of meet these new guys and sort of, you know, again, try to try to go out and compete for a championship. Yeah. Speaking of managing a rotation, you've had a pretty good rotation to manage the last couple of years with guys like Sean Babineau, Angelo Baez, Eric Chavaria, and Cole Chidoba, who really exploded on the scene last year. What was it like managing those guys? Yeah, those guys were awesome. And I mean, my, my pitching coach, Tyler Kelly, um, who's been with me for the past two years, he, he does a great job just communicating with those guys and making sure that they're ready for, for their starts. Um, but you know, guys like Baez and, and Babs and Chav and, and Dolba, there's, you know, there's not a whole lot that I need to do to get them ready to, to go out and pitch. I'd be lying to you if I said I had anything to do with it. Um, those guys are, are mature and, and they take what they do seriously. And I would say the, the best thing about that group of guys, you know, being together for two years and going out and competing is that they all just fed off each other. And if, if you asked any of them, you know, what contributed the most to their success, they would probably say uh, it was each other, you know, and the conversations that they had down in the bullpen and how they went about their pregame routine. And, you know, if, if, if Baez went out and had a good start, Babs wanted to go out the next day and have a good start and Chav wanted to follow and Doble wanted to do the same thing. So, you know, knowing that I could kind of roll those guys out there in, in order each week, you know, gave me a pretty good feeling about our, our chances to win. And, you know, I touched on the fact that offensively, you know, it was, we were hit or miss this past summer, you know, we, we got, you know, clutch hits when we needed them and guys stepped up in big situations, but, you know, I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, but, uh, they weren't great in our starting pitchers um, did a heck of a job keeping us in games and giving our, giving our guys opportunities to win games late. So, you know, credit to those guys for everything they did. 
And one of the anchors of the lineup, MVP Ben Rice. He's a great kid. We've had him on this podcast. Obviously, given the uncertainty of his season being at Dartmouth in the Ivy League, I'm sure this summer was huge for him. But what was it like watching him and seeing his leadership in the dugout? Yeah, Ben's awesome. I mean, he came to us in uh, in 2019 on the championship team. And, um, you know, early on, I didn't really know what to expect. We had kind of a three-man rotation going to catcher. And, um, you know, as that summer progressed, Ben obviously became the guy that needed to, to be playing six times a week. And so whether he was behind the plate or DHing, um, he was in the lineup and it sort of exploded the second half of 2019. So um, coming into 2020, he was, you know, one of the guys that was a late addition. We didn't expect to have him. And, um, you know, we reached out or he reached out to me, I think, in the, in the springtime once his season got canceled. And, you know, once the Cape and the NECBL canceled their seasons, um, you know, I was kind of trying to find a way to get him back on the roster and give him give him an opportunity to compete. And, um, you know, we, we were able to work things out once we sort of went to more of a, a local roster where Ben was willing to commute every day, which was, you know, a lot of people didn't know about, you know, what he was doing every day, going back and forth. I think he was driving like over an hour to get to the field. Um, but to get him back, to be able to plug his name in the middle of the lineup every night was awesome. And, and Ben's a kid again, that, you know, I, he doesn't need motivation. He's going to show up every day. He's a professional and, um, you know, does what he needs to do to prepare for games. And, you know, we had that conversation the very first day of the summer where it's like, Hey Ben, you're, you're going to be playing every single day. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to burn you out and, and make you catch double headers or anything like that. But if, you know, you're going to catch every other day and you're going to DH when you're not catching and, you know, you're going to be in the middle of the lineup and, you know, a lot was expected out of him, but he carried us for a lot of that season. I think, you know, once Matt Shaw showed up and started kind of hitting the ball at ballpark too, it maybe lightened the load for Ben a little bit, but, you know, Ben did a lot to carry us for the last two years. And like you said, Matt, just a phenomenal kid. Um, Love being around him. He's just a, a contagious personality. You know, the young guys look up to him. Um, super smart kid. Going to be going to be really successful in life. Yeah, just a quick note. You know, Ben's a Cohasset kid. I'm from the town over. Can confirm it is a very long drive to Worcester yeah. or Lemonster. So shout out to him for doing that. Yeah, every day, every day. So, um, you know, it's just he's impressive to watch. Yeah, when you're the only show in town and you got that drive, you you got to do what you got to do to make it happen. So all the credit to him. And one thing that's unique about a league like the Futures League is your ability to sign guys midseason and have them make an immediate impact. You want to talk about someone who did that, Matt Shaw. You guys signed him on the last possible day. He ends up tying, finishing in second in the league with eight home runs in only 11 games. Just a crazy stat line helped you guys out in the championship series. What can you say about his skill set, that late season addition and what he brought to the team and maybe, you know, what he could do at Maryland down at school? Yeah. Matt, Matt's a freak. I mean, um, so just like a little story, we, we signed him. Um, I had heard about Matt and uh, I know he, he was playing Legion ball. Dave Peterson went out and saw him play um, out in Sturbridge and took some video of him, took two videos of him. I think, one was a home run. He sent me the video. Um, and I mean, you can only tell so much from a, from a short clip, but you know, we, we made the decision to sign him. Um, the first day Matt was with us was, was the Brockton game that we played on Nesson. Um, so I think on the bus ride down there, Matt sat with me in the front seat, 
we have conversations just kind of about what the expectation was going to be for the final few weeks of the season. And, you know, what a, what a great opportunity it would be for him to play with, you know, play with older guys and, and sort of get them, get them ready for the fall. And, you know, I, I basically said to him, Hey, I, you know, I'm going to play you the, the following or the next day was going to be a double header against Westfield, I think. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to play you the first game. And then, you know, we'll kind of see how things go, but, but don't expect like to be in there every day. So we go, to, we go to Brockton, um, you know, they run, they run the 60 or whatever. And then the the guys are going to hit in front of the the scouts and the first ball that, that Matt sees, he hits over the fence to right center field. And I'm, and I looked over at Adam Chase, our hitting coach. And I was like, this kid, this kid might be playing every day and um, go to Westfield the next day, first pitch of the game, he hits over the left field fence and, you know, for the next whatever it was two and a half weeks, he did what he did, but he's just an explosive player, um, but fit perfectly in our organization. I mean, everything that I talked about earlier, as far as respect and work ethic, um, he's certainly a confident kid. Um, you know, he, he understands what he can do and, and the ability that he has. Uh, and he's worked really hard to get to that point. Um, but super humble, you know, just, just sort of showed up every single day and did whatever I asked him to do, whether it was play center field, play left field, play second base. He didn't care. He just, he wanted to compete. He loves to hit and he's, he's really good at it. Um, I think Maryland got a heck of a baseball player who's, who's going to be a pro eventually. And um, he's probably going to play the game for a long time. Yeah, definitely need a player like that who's a jackknife and you can just plug in place wherever. That's huge for team success, especially getting into the dog days. So curious about your strategy in terms of managing players, getting in touch with college coaches. A guy like Shaw, you know, he hasn't competed at the college level. He's kind of using this summer to get his feet under him. But how much communication do you have with coaches with them telling you, hey, you know, we're not totally satisfied with the usage give me feedback on this player's performance. How is that relationship like for you? Yeah, I think that starts um, as soon as the prior season ends. I mean, as soon as we lost to Nashville, I think the next day we're, it might've even been before the um, last game of the championship, we're, we're beginning that process of putting, you know, the next summer's team together. Um, and I think that's just an ongoing process or a never ending process really of communicating with college coaches and trying to build strong relationships with them and, you know, one thing um, that I've been trying to do sort of each year is add a new school. Um, you know, that's obviously we're not going to be able to do that forever, but the more schools we can kind of get in contact with and build relationships, I think, you know, the more opportunity we have to find, you know, the right 35 guys to, to go out and compete um, plays a huge part in what we just talked about with, with having to add guys, uh, it, whether it's in the middle of the summer or right towards, you know, when we're getting down, uh, to the home stretch. Like if we have positive relationships with those schools and they know exactly what they're going to get out of the Worcester Bravehearts and that they're going to send, you know, in, in a case like Matt Shaw, they're going to send a young guy who hasn't been on campus yet to go compete and get an opportunity to ex experience a playoff run and, you know, be in the clubhouse with the older guys, you know, they're going to do that. And I think as far as your, your question with how I use guys throughout the summer, um, that's something that, we try to handle in the fall when we're putting the team together so that once I get to, to June and July and in August, there, there are no questions about how I'm going to use a player. So, you know, those conversations start with me and the college coach and 
what their expectation is for that player in the spring and then how I would use them in the summer. Um, you know, position players are all position players are, are a lot easier than the arms. I mean, the, my, my guys are going to play uh, every other day, at least, you know, up until the all-star break. So they're all going to get fairly equal opportunity for, for the first half of the summer. And then, you know, post all-star break, most of that is earned. Uh, playoff picture, same thing that's earned. We're going to put the best nine out there to compete. Um, but our arms, you know, I had mentioned earlier, Tyler Kelly, my pitching coach, one of his responsibilities throughout the spring is to be checking in with, with college coaches. And, you know, if we start seeing that, you know, that number in the, in the innings column going up for, you know, a guy that we had kind of slated as a starter, that's, you know, that's going to be a conversation that we make sure we have in the spring before that guy gets here. So if we only have 25 innings for Angelo Baez, we know that before um, he gets here. You know, if, if we know a guy's not going to get shut down and we can push him, you know, we know how to manage that. So it's just constant communication and making sure that, you know, our organization and, and the respective schools are, are all on the same page. Yeah. And back going back before you were even manager, when you were introduced, the Bravehearts made a note in their introductory article about how you in 2018 raised Mariano Ricciardi's uh, average from 248 to 298. What is your relationship like with him? And what was it like having him back in the clubhouse for a fourth year? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I raised Mariano's average Mariano, you know, he's a, he's a hard worker and he, um, you know, he puts in a lot of time in the off season and, and he had a special summer that year and did it again in 2019. He's a great baseball player, but um, on a personal level, uh, my relationship with Mariano has, has grown over the last, you know, again, three and a half years meeting him in 2018. And, you know, I will say that that, that was a really special summer for me because, you know, being the hitting coach and, not having to deal with all the things that JP was taking care of at that time. I just got to focus on our position players and working with them every day. Mariano is a guy that um, needed to be in the cage every single day. So I got to spend a lot of time one-on-one with him and work through what he needed to do to get ready to play a game. And, you know, those numbers don't happen by accident. You know, he spent a lot of time um, in the cages in the, in the morning, early afternoon before guys got there um, so that he could go out at seven o'clock and, and put up those numbers, but great kid, obviously, you know, we've talked about leadership and Ben Rice and other guys, uh, you know, Bias Chav, guys who have been on the team for a number of years. No one's been around longer than Ano. So um, to have him, you know, obviously he got hurt this summer and wasn't able to, to, you know, play and compete for the whole year, but um, was still around and, uh, you know, having his experience and his leadership and, you know, him being able to just communicate with guys and, you know, uh, being the dugout for home games is, is an important part to our success. So, um, yeah, I have a great relationship with Ano and, you know, another really good baseball player that's going to have a, have a bright future in the game. Before we return to our interview with Alex Dion, once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to ChangeUp, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors. ChangeUp is a cutting edge player centric pitch and performance management application by comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. During the 2020 season, FCBL teams reap the benefits of the ChangeUp application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their players are doing here in the FCBL. 
Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. Changeup is a clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, Changeup's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. Changeup is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the ChangeUp revolution? For more information, visit ChangeUp's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. ChangeUp, every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Alex Dion. So transitioning to the other part of your coaching career, you are the head baseball coach for Milford High School. How has that experience been coaching in a huge baseball town and being the first coach not from Milford? It's, uh, it's been a really humbling experience. I mean, a great experience for me. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Rich Pierre Gustavo, who's the longtime Milford Legion coach. Um, he, he hired me, reached out to me back in 2012, and I started as a substitute teacher and coaching freshman football. And, um, you know, then met Paul Pellegrini, who was the head coach before me. You know, he coached Milford baseball for 14 years. Um, I was lucky enough to be his assistant coach for four years. And then when, when Pelly retired, you know, again, got, got hired as the head coach, but Milford's just an unbelievable town, incredible baseball history. Um, I've been, been so lucky to, you know, have an assistant coach like Mike Reed, who grew up in, in Milford and, you know, played for the Scarlet Hawks and uh, was a former head coach at Clark university, former head coach at Babson. But guys like Richie, guys like Mike, J.P. Pine, you know, Paul Pellegrini, Steve Manguso, like just guys who have been Milford guys forever um, that I've been really fortunate enough to develop relationships with and that they've welcomed me in. I mean, Milford's like a second home now, and, and it's a place where I plan on spending the rest of my career. So really lucky to coach in a town that just, that still cares and values athletics so much. Um you know, just a great group of kids. I mean, the seniors that I had last year when the season got cut short, you know, it was a group of guys that when, when I took over, you know, two of those guys, Kobe Perez and Luke Rosa, who are, you know, now off at, at college, um, you know, I, I had them as sophomores and it was like one of those conversations where it's like, hey, this is this is year one for me. It's year one for you guys. Like, we're going to kind of build this thing around you for the next three years. And, you know, their sophomore year, we were five and 15 their junior year we went 11 and 11 and won a playoff game you know those that whole group not just Kobe and Luke but the other five guys in that class were were really looking forward to you know going out next spring and the possibilities that you know we could have gone out and competed for whatever it might have been whether it's a league championship or or hopefully beyond that um so to to see that get cut short was really disappointing but um just a you know, I, I absolutely love what I do and feel so lucky to be able to, to coach high school baseball and then, you know, get my fix of, of the college game in the summer with the Bravehearts. Um, you know, again, just really fortunate to be able to do both. Two-sided question here. Do you know the status of your upcoming spring season? And, you know, it's not college where guys can go and get a master's degree or apply for a fifth year. That's it. And it's a lot of kids that have grown up together playing what was it like delivering that message and have you stayed in touch with them to try to coach them through emotions that they're feeling transitioning to college in a wild year for kids graduating? 
Yeah, just and, – and for some of those guys, you know, I had mentioned Kobe and Luke, but, you know, some of those guys, you know, grow up their whole life playing Little League in Milford, you know, going to middle school, you know, finally getting to high school and, you know, make, play freshman baseball, play JV baseball, you know, finally make the, the varsity team as a junior but maybe don't play. And, you know, that senior year is something that those guys look forward to for, you know, since the, the day they picked up a, a, a bat and a ball, you know, and – for that to to get shut down or for them to not have an opportunity to go out and compete for maybe the only time that they're going to really be able to compete. And for, you know, in high school, playing for your town, playing for your best friends, like all the things that make high school baseball special. Um, it was, it was tough to, to watch. And there's not really much that you could say that that's going to make an 18 year old feel better about that situation. Um, but myself and, and Mike Reed and Ryan Bowen, my other assistant, we, um, you know, we would have Zoom meetings with our guys early on uh, when we were first sent home from school. And, you know, like tryout week, we have a Zoom meeting. We're going over, you know, same thing, philosophy, you know, what, what the season's going to look like, what expectations are, what they should be doing at home to stay in shape and get ready for the season. You know, then you go two weeks and three weeks and one month and, you know, you're still trying to find ways to, to be positive with those guys. But once, um, you know, once the news finally breaks that, that they're not going to get that opportunity at all, then it's, it's really just sort of, uh, you, you just feel for them. And it's about making sure that that relationship can continue. Right. And that it doesn't just get cut off at that point, because I think that's where, um, you know, we would be failing as coaches if, if we did that. And, uh, just because they didn't get an opportunity to compete doesn't mean that that everything that they did in their four years there didn't mean something. So um, I have still, I've talked to all seven of my seniors from last year and um, they're all doing great. It's, um, you know, a, a, a team that I'll certainly always remember that I had hoped that we would have been able to compete together for one, one more year, but um, you know, now it'll just be alumni events and events and, um, hopefully having them back and, you know, being able to recognize them at some point. As far as, as this spring's concerned, um, it's crazy to think that we're still, you know, I would have thought last year when we got sent home and that season was canceled, it's like, all right, well, at least next spring, you know, we'll have an opportunity to go out and compete. And, um, you know, we're still going to get to play baseball, it seems like, but we're not playing our 20-game schedule. Um, you know, the details of of the whole schedule for our league um, aren't completely finalized, but it seems like we're going to play 10 games in the regular season um, against our five other league opponents and, and kind of scratch our, our non-league games. Um, and then I, I still kind of postseason stuff is still up in the air. I don't, I don't think there's going to be any state tournament, but we might do a kind of a crossover thing within our league. If um, you know, if that's deemed safe at that point to, to do that type of thing. Yeah, it's tough, especially considering everything leads up to the postseason. I know that last year it was at the winter postseason event, at least in Connecticut, that things got cut off. And it's like the big finishing point of a lot of these kids' careers gets cut. So, you know, hoping stuff at least goes according to plan. Who knows? Um, Would you ever consider bringing a kid from the Milford pipeline into the Bravehearts, kid who goes on to play college ball? We had one. Really? Aiden, Aiden Wild um, played for me for four years in high school. And the first, the first three, I was still the assistant coach. Um, his senior year was my first year as the head coach. So 
Um, yeah, Aiden was a three-year captain at Milford High School um, for the baseball team. Really great high school career. Had 100 hits in baseball, scored 100 goals in hockey. So pretty good athlete. Um, he hit with me throughout his high school career. So we were able to form a really good relationship. And then uh, he went to play at Stonehill and, uh, and we signed him. So he was on the 2019 championship team. And then he came back last summer. So the Milford guy, um, we also had Jonathan Rice. He's a Hopedale guy. So he never played for me, but another local guy from that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, Aiden was, a, Aiden was a special story. We talk about it um, all the time. We sat together on the bus ride home after the championship game and just kind of like look back at, at what a unique opportunity that was to, you know, for, I don't think I'll ever, I, I mean, who knows? I, it's, it's something that I don't think will ever happen again to coach a guy for four years in high school and then, you know, have an opportunity to coach him for another two years um, at a different level. So, you know, something that was really special and, you know, we can look back on one day together. Yeah. What an awesome story. So uh, another question about Milford here. So we looked at your LinkedIn. We tried to look and see what you do in the classroom. You were a substitute teacher. Are you teaching on a regular basis now? Or what were you like as a substitute teacher? What's it like being in the classroom with these kids? I only sub, I subbed for about six months, probably back in 2012. I didn't even know I still had a LinkedIn. So thanks for that. I might, I might want to go update that. So I was a substitute teacher for like six months. Um, then I got hired as a behavioral aide in the pre-voke program. I did that for like a year and a half. My, my undergrad degree was in business management. I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. So I, I wasn't a certified teacher at the time. So I had to take, you know, that first like year and a half to take the MTELs and, and get certified to teach in Massachusetts. And once I did that, um, I was hired, uh, as a practical arts teacher. So I think this is my seventh year as a full-time teacher at the high school, seventh year, full-time teacher yeah, ninth year overall. Um, so I work in the practical arts department. I teach, uh, diff- much different classes. I teach sports marketing. I run our banking and business program for juniors and seniors, uh, which is a pretty cool opportunity. They have uh, a chance of seniors to go out and do a field study with some local companies, uh, in Milford and then teach a senior seminar course, which is more of, you know, post-secondary planning, life skills, financial literacy skills, and a business principles class. So a little bit of everything. Um, but I love, I mean, the same thing as coaching, like it's just an opportunity to be around, you know, students and, and kind of form those relationships and, you know, just try to make the best of their high school experience. Can I hire you on the side as to let me know why my bank account is going in the red lately? Uh, I don't know if I'm the best guy for that. All right. Fair enough. Thought I'd ask. Could use all the help I can get. Call, call Getty. He'll help you out. All right. That's really cool, though, that you have the chance to teach those type of things in high school, because I know at our high school, we don't have that. So that was one of the biggest things um, when I was first hired. We didn't really have, you know, any any curriculum as far as like your life skills, you know, like how do I file taxes? What what are my student loans going to look like once I get out of here? You know, what's rent versus mortgage, you know, all, all that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fun journey. Quick shameless plug here. This is on my reading list right now. So you're getting the kids a head start. I know I might have to zoom into your class. I don't half the stuff you just said was like, OK, <laughs> All right. So continuing on to talking about your coaching career, you've also coached team Mizuno Northeast in 2014 and 2015. 
What was it like coaching travel baseball and helping kids get ready to be competitive in high school and college? Yeah, I think that was um, probably something that I needed to do in my career. Um, you know, I had played for Mike Masarino for the Northboro Legion team when I was in high school. So that was sort of an obvious kind of move to make when I first got into coaching was to coach there. And I, I loved my experience in Legion, but kind of making the move over to the showcase game um, and getting exposed to that and going to different parts of the country and, you know, really working with all players that, you know, wanted to go play at the next level was a really good experience. And then, you know, the other part of that, like obviously in the summer we're traveling, you know, we're going to Georgia and Florida and New York and, you know, playing all over different part of the country every single weekend. Like the other part of that is, is, you know, November, December, January, February, and, you know, just being in a cage for, 35, 40 hours a week working with different guys. That was, that was an experience that there's times now where I miss it a little bit. Um, but just having to, to give lessons like nonstop throughout the week, work with different age kids. Um, that was really, you know, a three year period where I was able to learn a lot about myself as a coach and, um, kind of start to understand how to teach hitting, really like I, and I was just doing it on the fly I mean you know every kid was different and I, I realized that I couldn't cookie cut everything and you know if I was going to give or spend that much time in a in a cage each week with you know however many different players like I really needed to to learn about the game and and how I was going to teach it so um, you know that was that's a, a period of my coaching career that I'm super thankful for now so I'm guessing a lot of those kids were dedicating 10 to 12 months out of the year to play baseball. You played multiple sports growing up, baseball and football primarily. We saw an article where you said you want your kids to be multi-sport athletes. How important do you think it is for kids to compete in more than one sport, especially developmentally growing up while they're still getting used to their bodies and you know maturing and not just play one year round? I, I mean, it's really important. Um, something we talk about my, myself and uh, Paul Sivar, our basketball coach, and Dale Olson, our football coach at the high school. Um, it's a topic that we're constantly talking about and, you know, not wanting our guys to specialize in one sport. Um, at, at the high school level, the way I see it is I want my guys playing football or, or whatever they want to do in the um, fall playing basketball or doing indoor track or wrestling or whatever it might be in the winter and then coming to play for me in the spring. Um, and then whatever, you know, their sport is, whatever their favorite one of those three is like, go do that in the summer, right? Like go either train for that, or if you can play summer baseball or you can go to seven on seven camps for football or play AAU basketball, like whatever your number one sport is, go do that in the summer. But you should be playing, you know, three seasons while, um, you know, you have the chance to do that because everything that, you know, everything that my guys are doing in, in basketball right now, footwork wise, conditioning wise is, is going to help them on the baseball field, right? Everything that they're doing in football, whether it's the weight room during the summer or, or competing during the fall is, is going to get them bigger and faster and stronger and is only going to help them in, again, in the spring when they get to me. But especially from a young age, I mean, I like I, I don't see the point in specializing in one sport when you're 10, 11, 12 years old. It it makes no sense 
to me and, and the biggest thing that you're going to get out of playing multiple sports is, is the competitive nature, right. Is going out and, and figuring out how to work, uh, in a team setting, right. Setting goals for yourself. Um, you know, trying to get better, trying to win. Uh, and the more you do that, I think the more that's going to translate it's going to, especially at the high school level, it's going to have an effect on, on the whole culture of your school. Um, you know, if we can have some success in baseball and, you know, maybe that carries over to next fall and, you know, coach Olson does a great job with our, our football guys. They can compete there and win there. And I think it's just, you know, it, again, it just builds the entire culture of your school and it becomes expected. So, you know, if you're sitting on your couch for eight months out of the year and you go compete for one season, it's, I gotta imagine it's a little bit harder to kind of flip that switch on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you never think about that, like stuff that you learn in basketball and football could like help out in baseball or whatever else it is. So for sure. And before we get to our final segment, how about a message to Bravehearts fans as we inch a little bit closer to the season? Uh, yeah, I'm just excited to get back to Holy Cross. Excited. We have the, the best fan base uh, in the league, you know, one of the best in the country um, and they show up every single night for us. So it'll be exciting to get back to Holy Cross and, you know, hopefully have some fans in the seats supporting us. Yeah, I think if we played through 2020, if stuff just kind of hopefully gets a little bit better, would love to see fans back at Hanover. That would be awesome. So we, we got our fingers crossed. So as Owen mentioned, we're moving on to our final segment. It's called Quick Hits, presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So we got a couple more questions for you for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool with you? Sure. All right, let's do it. Favorite player that you've coached from your tenure in the Futures League? Yeah, we're putting the heat on early. <laughs> Favorite player? Angelo Baez. We've seen it. Tell the audience why, if you could expand on that a little bit. Just a, I mean, we have a special relationship with him. I, I love all the guys I've coached, and I, and I mean that. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Angelo for, for three summers, right? And, like, the first summer – didn't get to know him as well as I did for 2019 and 2020. He was out of the bullpen. I don't even know how many innings he threw that year. Um, but coming back in 2019, the summer he had, the things he did for us, um, and just really getting to know him um, on a personal level. Obviously, the the size uh, doesn't help him, but for him to go out and win, you know, pitcher of the year that year, and the way that he competes. Um, every single day and, and works on his craft. And I just, I just love the way that he goes out and does that stuff. Um, and then just the off the field part of it, you know, how well we get along. And again, the relationship that we've been able to, to build over the last, you know, three years, he just is a guy that makes you laugh every day and, and you just want to be around. So that's a relationship that again, we still talk, to this day, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk, you know, every, every now and then on the phone and, and catch up um, like I do with a lot of my guys. But if I had to answer, I guess I'd say Angelo. Okay. A term that I've you that I've heard to describe him as a bulldog on the mound. I feel like that fits him perfectly. And he was our second guest on this series. So shout out to him for coming on when we were still kind of getting our legs. And he said he was working on magic tricks in the early stages of quarantine. So we brought a deck of cards to the bullpen. You could just kind of see the energy in the bullpen with Johnny West, Chadoba, Shav around him. So awesome kid. Awesome kid. All right. Now, how about a favorite ballpark that you've either attended as a fan or played in? 
Oof. Um, I'd say as a kid, so growing up as a kid, my parents um, would bring us like all different big league ballparks each summer. Um, it was like, it was our family vacation every year. And um, I was fortunate to go to, I've been to quite a few of them. Um, but one of the coolest experiences I had was, was staying in the hotel in center field um, up in Toronto. So we got to go there, stayed over there for two nights, saw a game and um, actually got to watch them. I think the night that we got in there, there was some type of event before, whether it was a concert or whatever. So we got to, uh, me and my brother got to stay up and watch them kind of turn the facility over from whatever they had before, get the stage off to laying out the, the turf, which was like that thin and just concrete underneath it at the time. Um, so that was probably a pretty cool experience, but just traveling. Yeah. Traveling all the ballparks when I was younger, growing up with my mom and dad and brother was, was some experiences that, that I won't forget. Went to the old synergy field in Cincinnati when, when Griffey came back from one of his injuries, he was, he was probably my favorite player growing up. Um, he had just come back off. I don't know if it was a knee injury or a hamstring or whatever. Um, but we got to see him come back and play. And that was something I had always wanted to do. So that was pretty cool too. That's incredible. How about a baseball stadium or more broadly a sporting event that's on your bucket list? Super Bowl, probably. Never been, but it's something I would probably, if I had to pick one, I'd want to go see a Super Bowl. Okay. Good answer. Sore subject for me. Good answer. Yeah. Um, how about walk-up music or if you were – you know, if something you had during your playing days, something you'd put on now, what would you be walking out to? I hate walk-up music. So uh, we tried it in high school baseball and it, and I, uh, my high school guys know how I feel about it, but at least in the, at least in the college game in the summer, the guys for the most part, get it right. And I think it's um, when you're playing this many games, it's something that kind of, you know, I know the guys love it and motivates them for me. I'm, I'm not a huge music guy. So you know, it could be anything. It depends what time of the year it is. Sure. Is it like a old man yells at cloud, like just not a fan of the kids taste in music or just takes away from the atmosphere? What is it? It's some that it was definitely that in, in oh. high school baseball, because there's like four people in the stands watching the game. And, you know, it's like, it's like someone's girlfriend playing it on their iPhone. So it was a lot in high school. I, I shut that down pretty quick, but again, in the, in the, in the summer and college guys, I think it's something that's necessary. And they obviously, you know, they, they like it. If they're struggling, then, you know, you, you hear the walk-up song change and whatever, but it's a part of the game and, you know, it's fun. Yeah. I was on the Westfield playlist in 2019. I wish I had known that in hindsight for when the visitors took their BP to really try to play some head games. I'm sure it wouldn't have worked anyway. Yeah. All right. So you alluded to it earlier about favorite player, but if you could offer favorite big league team and Favorite player? You said Griffey's historical, but how about a current player in the game? Oh, current player in the game. Um, Griffey was definitely my favorite growing up. Uh, I would say him or Roberto Alomar. Favorite player currently in the game. Uh, I watched when quarantine started, Trevor Bauer started doing this like series online where he kind of like took you around his day um, and, sh and sort of showed you like what a day in the life of Trevor Bauer was and I kind of liked, you know, I know people on Trevor Bauer are probably on opposite spectrums. You either love him or you hate him, but I kind of started to like him a lot and, uh, and followed him and watched his video series. So I guess I'll go with Bauer. Okay. And I'm sure as someone who tries to like verse kids in business, 
it's neat to see his own personal branding. I forget the name of it, but like has really done a lot to try to get his personal brand out there, especially when he's trying to secure a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great, he's super entertaining. I mean, obviously what he does on the field speaks for itself. So it's fun to follow. Yeah. And quick note here before I kick it to Owen, you want to talk about Griffey, our uh, guest earlier in the summer, Ray Fagnant, scout for the Red Sox, who's around the league. He said he got to be the catcher for that derby and watched mcguire and sosa and griffey so he said if you're watching mlb network at like two in the morning he'll sometimes put it on to watch himself yeah unbelievable and then how about a nickname either in baseball or in general you've been given over the years nickname um i mean everyone calls me dion you know i would say but uh high school guys um all my college or college players in the summer, um, Skip has sort of taken on its own. I think that's sort of like your classic, like manager's nickname, but um, started as a joke back in 2019 when Chase and, and Tyler Kelly, my two assistants, started calling me it, and then it just sort of caught on. Um, so a lot of it's it's either Dion or Skip it throughout the whole summer. Awesome. And then, are you superstitious at all? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't really say I'm superstitious. I mean, I think I it's probably a super boring answer, but I, I think I prepare the same way every day. So if you want to call that superstitious, you can. Um, I think I have a routine that, that makes me feel uh, like comfortable and gets me ready to, to go out for a game. But I don't think superstitious is the right word. Yeah. You're not alone there. Routine has definitely been the theme of season two. Everybody has the same way of getting prepared. Yeah. So that's a good answer. And then bubblegum or sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds, dill pickle. Let's go. Another one in the club. <laughs> dill pickle seeds. I don't have any on my desk to show, but <laughs> you're <big> slacking. <laughs> I know I'm slacking today. And then how about favorite ballpark food and favorite ballpark beer? Ballpark food. I'll go with your standard hot dog. Ballpark beer. Anything under $10. <laughs> That's the, that's the correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, how about a favorite all-time baseball memory? I'd say in my adult life is winning the 2019 championship. You know, people always ask, you know, I, I think I actually skipped one of your questions. I'm a Red Sox fan since I was a little kid. Um, but like people say, what's your favorite team? Like my favorite team is Milford High School and the Worcester Bravehearts. And, and like, I genuinely mean that. So, um, I'd say my favorite mem memories winning the 2019 championship. Absolutely. And hopefully that you can bring more of that championship magic, but I guess you never forget your first. So, you know, a little different than the co-championship in 18 and that was your squad. So I'm sure memories you'll never forget from that summer. Mm -hmm. So uh, Alex, Dion, Skip, whatever you want to call them. Thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck with everything. We're so excited to see the brave hearts back in action. Hopefully, at Hanover Insurance Park next summer. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. So this has been Episode 8 of Season 2 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.